welcome to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We are joined, as always, with my co-host, Dean, who is very close to his competition, feeling sleepy and maybe asleep. Today was a struggle. Yeah. So I may just be doing the podcast with our guest today, Dr. Mike. A real doctor, I believe. Like an actual medical professional. <laughs> not not like a fake doctor. Like, who else have we had on that are fake doctors? <laughs> Chiropractor. Yeah. Certain chiropractor, Canadian guy. Lovely fellow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, you actually call yourself Dr. Mike the Second. On Instagram, on. yes. Who are you second to? Um, I'm second to quite a lot of people, and 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 that's kind of where it kind of comes from. I'm, I'm quite used to like, I'm not very competitive. I'm kind of happy to fade into the background. So it's a bit of a play on that. But actually, um, I there's a, a singer songwriter who I I think is amazing, and always used to go and see her gigs play, like her play gigs when I was at medical school. And um, I remember I had my finals coming up and she knew I was I was studying for my finals. And she said, oh, like, you're going to be fine in your finals because my friend, Dr. Mike, is leaving the country and moving to America. Um, so you'll pass your exams and then you'll become Dr. Mike the second. And it kind of just stuck as this this nickname. I mean, it was really because I just used to have my normal name on social media. And I once Googled myself, which I highly recommend doing if you want to be absolutely terrified from time to time. And I was like... Um, I'm slightly concerned about what comes up, like all these tweets about cake and what I was watching on TV. And I was like, if my patients Google my full name and that's what they get, like it's not super inspirational. Maybe I should just have a nickname. Dr. Mike, the second. Not going to lie, I was disappointed when I saw Dr. Mike pop up in my Instagram feed, uh, in my my inbox, sorry, that it wasn't Dr. Mike Israel. Oh, did you see Dr. Mike in your <laughs> Are you saying that uh, our guest today is inferior to another Mike? Is that what you're saying? Uh, at least in the level of getting a doctorate in exercise physiology. Okay. Yes. All right. But not as a medical professional. <laughs> or maybe even a human. We'll soon find out. We've not met Mike before. So, mate, thanks for coming on the podcast. Can, um, oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you tell people a little bit who you are, what you do, and why you do it? Sure. I am a full-time GP uh, and in my capacity as just being a human, I went on a kind of like, I hate it when people call it this, but a journey of lifestyle change. I kind of grew up very inactive, not interested in nutrition or physical exercise or anything like that. Got to the point where I realized I needed to do something about that for, um, and I would say at the time, I guess both kind of health and aesthetic reasons, if we're being completely honest, and I went on this kind of journey of change and, and in that process realized how little I knew as a doctor about this kind of stuff and how easily foolable I was and gullible to kind of the ways of the internet and social media and fad diets and all of the things that are out there for people who want to make lifestyle change. And I realized that all of those things didn't help my journey they they kind of hindered everything and made it so much harder and so in the process I became kind of passionate about educating people about my failures and and the things that I got wrong and trying to help people realize that actually probably the easiest thing that I did in this process was um kind of lose fat in a sustainable and what I would call healthy way um and the hardest thing that I did was failing at it multiple times by doing really unnecessary things um so i just became like a bit of a a soapbox guy who just wanted to tell everybody about how um not only how it doesn't have to be that hard but also how we are all at risk of being like complete idiots about everything so don't assume that just because you're educated or because you um follow clever people on social media that you can't then you know do really dumb stuff Um, And I think that it's important that we realize that because then we can be a bit more open minded when people are critical of the things that we do and we can actually have discussions and learn. I know that that's a really unusual thing to happen in today's day and age, but it's something I like. Mm. Well, how many educated people at the top of their field have we had as clients who you think, how did you get fooled by this? Yeah, absolutely. Even my um, one of my uni professors 
most intelligent guy I know. Uh, he's a neuroscientist and an anthropologist, and he was doing the Atkins diet and just replacing two meals a day with this high-fat chocolate bar. What? Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. I can fully relate. I mean, I did a grape diet once. Grape? I, I ate grapes, yeah. Because I was like, I like grapes. Grapes are good for you. Maybe if I just eat grapes, I'll lose weight. <laughs> like I didn't even, and that wasn't even misinformation. I made that up myself, you know? So it's kind of, we, we are so like, like it's crazy how we can behave so differently in our job and in our profession and the kind of advice that we give to people. And then yet in the background, because we're struggling with, with, you know, things like our body image and um, insecurities and all of those sorts of things and we don't realize that we're vulnerable because they're things that we're emotional about and it's very mm -hmm. difficult to be objective about stuff that you're emotional about like and, and you know in, in terms of the education that you get at medical school on stuff like energy balance and all of that kind of stuff it, you know and nutrition in general it's pretty minimal but you are educated often to kind of believe that you know a lot of stuff because you do know a lot of stuff just not about everything um, so it's just very very easy to to, to think I mean I, I I once worked with a coach who who told me that you know wheat is really similar in structure to opium so that's why carbs are addictive and actually if you um, give up wheat sugar and dairy then that's like basically all that you need to do to lose weight and of course I gave up wheat sugar and dairy i.e pizza and cake and pasta and all of the food that I liked and surprisingly I lost weight and thought this was absolute magic yeah you know and but don't worry because you get a cheat day every week so mm -hmm. you know, it, it was it was that kind of this all this kind of stuff that you know I think back now and I think I, ca I can't believe that I got fooled by this stuff and I can't believe that I believed it and I assume that everyone knows this now, but people still don't know it. There are yeah. still people going around with huge social media accounts telling people this kind of misinformation. And sometimes I see people do a post that like, oh, you know, weight loss is just about a calorie deficit. And I think, yeah, guys, we know, but actually people don't, you know, so yeah. it is it is really fascinating that there's still a lot of work to do, I think. Yeah, this was the motivation behind the Better Bodies program at Flex Success because we know so many intelligent, well-intentioned, hardworking people that do fall into these traps. And so that program is all about starting from scratch, keeping it simple and doing the things that matter. Um, but what something that I, a string that I wanted to pull on here is you were saying that even as a doctor, you got fooled by these things and um, people expect doctors to know everything and you know a lot, but not everything. <clears throat> does that mean that uh, you're finding a lot of your patients are coming in asking for weight loss advice and you think that maybe a GP isn't the best person to ask? Yeah, I mean, I think like, so the demographic of patients that I work with um, are, are quite elderly. So like, I don't get it as much as I think a lot of other doctors get. I think I have a, a slightly different demographic, but I, I do experience it sometimes. And actually I experienced it a lot more, from the process of, my, of losing weight because my patients saw me lose weight and then would be like, oh, how did you lose weight? And the saddest thing about this is that to start with, people started asking me these questions when I was doing like paleo or when I was like giving up wheat, sugar and dairy and having a cheat day once a week. And so, you know, when people ask you, a, like, I think the thing is, if you work in any kind of job where your job is to try and help people and people ask you a question, you try and answer it. The idea of people staying in their lanes is, is, is like is a really difficult concept to put into practice sometimes, because sometimes like I mean, there have been times when, when somebody will say to me, um, oh, like, a, you know, a patient will call up and say, like, I've been vomiting and what do I do? And I'm like, right, do this, this, this and this. And then I'll get off the phone and I think, oh. What percentage of that answer that I gave was stuff my mum told me to do when I was a kid and I was sick? And what percentage of it was stuff that I learned at medical school? Or did yeah. medical school just presume that we know how to how to do those things because everyone's kind of grown up with mums? You know, like there, there are there is this a lot of you know stuff that, that when you when you think you know something you don't always remember where that knowledge came from or did some random doctor tell me this on a ward? Um, but was he just making a passing comment? Did I misunderstand it? Did I, um, you know, did, did he not even mean that? Did he even look it up? Did somebody tell him that? Is it even correct? Did I peer review this? No, I didn't. I remember like a, um, 
at medical school, we for a whole year, myself and my flatmate, thought that you know everyone's talking about anosmia with COVID right at the moment, like inability to to smell. We were in a lecture and she was really like studious. She wrote notes, I didn't. So I stole her notes afterwards to do studying from. And I was like, oh, my God, what is this thing? Anosmia, the inability to spell. How crazy that there's like a medical condition with the inability to spell. Well, I have she'd written it down wrong. Yeah, <laughs> she'd written it down wrong in the, in the lecture. And it was only like, I just, on, like, by the grace of God that we looked it up, like, the night before the exam or, some, or read it somewhere else where, and realised what it was. And we thought it was absolutely hilarious. But, like, that, it's, like, simple mistakes like that can easily carry through. If we'd never looked that up, I'd have just thought it was the inability to spell for a really long time. Like, we're all humans going about this path, like, trying to learn stuff, right? So I think that a lot of the time, especially in, in a... Um, medical specialty like general practice where a lot of the stuff that when you're talking to people you're often giving kind of just general advice like tips on on you know how to do stuff and and you know sometimes it is it is about like sometimes it's through experience like you know things you know if you've had medical conditions and you know what helped with them and stuff like that so it's always difficult to separate that out but when you think back and think how much nutrition will be taught at medical school very little like we learned kind of the basic science and stuff about nutrition but in terms of actually helping people change their nutrition not so much add that to the fact that in this country in general practice we have 10 minute appointments so if you consider actually how much of a lifestyle intervention you can do in that 10 minute appointment, it's so limited. And I say that as somebody who now I think I think probably I give quite decent and reflective lifestyle advice because I feel like I've learned a lot about it now. But that's really because I've had a real special interest in it. And even still, it's almost impossible. So I figure how is everybody else managing this? And then I think the other side of it is that because the nhs is is um free to access in this country you might find a situation where people will want to will make an appointment with their gp to discuss a question that would be far better answered by a coach um or a, a physiotherapist or um you know even like a chiropractor or a osteopath or a dentist sometimes yeah yeah exactly well definitely um and it, we're getting a bit better than at, at some of those things like we now have access to psychologists and to um like patients can can directly access musculoskeletal practitioners and psychologists in a lot of practices now which is incredible um but you know at the same time they'll often be coming to, to gps to discuss things that aren't really gp but by default everything is gp so it's very yeah. difficult to say i'm not gonna i'm not gonna try and answer that question because you feel you should know so you try and help you know but um, so I think I think there's a lot of really, really well-intentioned, um, I wouldn't say necessarily misinformation, but perhaps handling and coaching of situations that, that might not take into account certain nuances, particularly stuff like, you know, weight stigma, relationship with food, um, pre-existing knowledge. Like there's a lot of assumption of pre-existing knowledge, like, you know, or, or pre-existing preferences like i might say to somebody oh why don't you just you know do flexible dieting or do this or that or the other and it actually might just be somebody who hates carbs and you know the reason that they're um that, that they're struggling with their health is for you know a completely different reason but i've just made this association with that they've, they've got the same problems as me they mm. must really like cake why are they giving up cake you know <laughs> so to be fair only monsters don't like cake i was going to say it's so easy to make that throwaway comment with your prior knowledge knowing that it's okay to have cake so you know you can still have cake right and like that's that's one minute of your 10 minutes taken up and then they're like they leave and they go hmm confirmation bias he said cake's fine cool i'll just eat cake yeah you know and go yeah. on a grape diet well i mean in our experience with coaching clients we know that you can't just start the conversation and then start giving them advice that you need to build trust first build rapport so they actually are honest with you and then there needs to be time to actually give context and answer questions like 10 minutes holy cow i can understand the pressure that doctors are under just to write a script and i'm totally generalizing there um because it's faster and maybe it's what no, patients 100%. are going to doctors for well i think that that's a part of it as well and this is something that because i um 
like I listen to the criticisms of, of, of GPs and of doctors and I like to kind of take them on board and reflect on them. I, like I, I feel like I'm a, a pretty reflective practitioner and actually I want to be a really good doctor. Like that's something that is really important to me in my life. So it would be really foolish of me if I didn't listen to, you know, what people tended to, you know, complain about doctors about and try and understand why. The difficulty is, is it's, it's invariably one side of the story. So like I, I kind of... Um, I think it's okay to say this. I have a bit of a rule of thumb, like let's say, for example, with with um, when it comes to conditions like depression, I think a condition like depression is extremely difficult to diagnose. It requires a little bit of time, a little bit of care, a little bit of attention. And again, it's very difficult to diagnose within 10 minutes. And I think that one of the things that's quite difficult about that situation is somebody in a 10 minute appointment, somebody who's had a really tough week, um can present in a very similar way to somebody who's been struggling with depression for a long time or who has got you know a a serious problem with depression so i like to you know in in the knowledge that things like antidepressants take quite a long time to work i often won't go straight to prescribing somebody an antidepressant in a first consultation unless we're dealing with something like you know a significant risk or a significant or a very obvious kind of situation like there are obviously a lot of people who really struggle to open up to to medical professionals about conditions that they've been suffering with for a very long time so I feel like you know if I've got a little if I've very clearly got this tiny window of opportunity to make a difference then I might do more in that first consultation than than I might do otherwise but sometimes I think it's perfectly safe and perfectly reasonable to do a bit of information gathering first but what I think a lot of people underestimate is that it is is that patients, just like doctors, just like everybody on the on the planet, have their own agendas. Everybody has an agenda when coming into a conversation and having a discussion with somebody. And sometimes people want certain types of treatment as well. And like you say, often they might be going to speak to a GP because they want medication. They want a prescription. That's what they're after. And it's sometimes very difficult to manage expectations versus an outcome when it's super important you know like it's not just it's not paying lip service to what people want what people want is really important because if the patient doesn't engage in the plan that is is laid out then they're not going to do it like if they don't want medication and you prescribe the medication they're not going to take it so there's no point if they don't want therapy and you're like i'm just going to give you this like referral form to refer yourself for therapy, they're not going to do it. Or if you refer them, they're not going to turn up to the appointment. Like it's your job more to kind of reestablish what people or help people reestablish what they want or try and explain to them why what they want might not really be what they want. You know, like it's, it's a really tough thing to do. And again, doing those things in 10 minutes is difficult. So when you then add a, a challenge of somebody being like, but I, you know, I really want X, Y, or Z, it sometimes can be very difficult not to say, okay, well, look, we'll do that for now, but let's, you know, then we'll see how things go sort of further down the line. And it's, it's a really tough sort of thing to manage and to explain. And, uh, and it's sort of, you know, it's a huge part of like training and general practice is how mm. to kind of manage that like that conversation and how to share the management plan and for it to be you know this isn't this isn't a podcast about how to be a gp so i'm not going to go super in on that but that was all something i think about quite a lot for sure i mean as a coach we have regular touch points with our clients at least once a week if they're a one-on-one client Mm -hmm. we'll we'll do what you, you know they'll come to us with their expectations we'll explain why what they want isn't actually what they need and we'll set this plan and then in a week's time at the very latest they'll check in with us and we'll see how it went but as a gp i guess you don't have that opportunity you write a prescription once or you give them a referral sometimes i guess unless they come back and tell you which often i imagine they don't you just assume that they've done the thing so there must be plenty of gps being quite i don't know if this is too harsh unconsciously incompetent Maybe incompetence too harsh of a word, but not understanding. Yeah, I mean, I think I think again, it's confirmation bias at the end of the day. If you if you give somebody a treatment and go come back if it doesn't work and they don't come back, 
there is this tendency to assume, well, it must have worked, right? Yeah. So, I, and that's why, like, I think in general practice, probably more than more than many other sort of fields of medicine, you can't, you know, like I, I do arrange follow up for, you know, for a lot of situations, not for everything, because you know, you you don't want to just fill all of your appointments with people coming back going, I'm fine now, you know, if it, but if it's an ongoing issue and if it's something where, you know, where risk management is important, like if it's a serious medical condition or if it's a um, you know like if it's not if it's not like a self-limiting condition you haven't seen somebody you know like i think if, if you're seeing somebody for a chest infection you give them antibiotics i think that's kind of perfectly reasonable to say come back if it's if it's not better or if it's getting any worse yeah but with with stuff like mental health conditions then then usually i would i would formally arrange follow-up but with capacity the way that it is i can see i'm sure a lot of people struggle to actually have the capacity to do that follow-up so do you know when the busier things are the more likely you might be to rely on that and yeah that i guess that can lead to to this confirmation bias that that things are just are just working but Mm. then i think also when it comes to seeking help sometimes i think people want to seek help but then they don't always want to go down that route. Like, you know, I'm sure that uh, like when it comes to coaches and clients, a lot of people will DM a personal trainer and ask them a question on Instagram, but they don't actually want to get coaching and actually go through doing all of the difficult stuff that actually yeah. is going to make them make the change that they clearly want to make. Yeah. And I've been, you know, as a, like I'm a, I'm a very long standing personal training client. I've worked with a lot of coaches and stuff. And I know kind of from my own history, like where I was at different places and how I approach different PTs in different situations and what I do when I'm not really very happy with the results I'm getting at the moment and how I just get fidgety and irritable and ask people questions, but then don't do anything about the answers. Like there's so much psychology behind all of this stuff, isn't there, that it just is absolutely a bit of a minefield. Funny story on that point, Dean and I were in was it Amsterdam and we were just about to hop off a train and this guy had been staring at Dean the whole time. And as Dean's just getting off, like... No, no, I was ex- sitting at the exit and he got off. Oh, uh, just as yeah. he was getting off, he said, bro, what, what brand of protein powder do you use? Was that the question? No, he said, oh, I mean, how do I get arms like yours? And I went, ah... Uh... He just wanted like the... <laughs> Like, yeah, I was like, oh, you got 30 seconds. I was like, 30 seconds, yeah. three seconds. Touch your toes 10 times, turn around backwards. Like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, got it. Yeah, that, I'm that on is, it. Al- like, that that's almost, what you want. That is, that is almost the, the time frame allowed. Like, if I said, that, like, I could maybe explain how to get some decent arms in 10 minutes. Yeah. But to try and help somebody make measurable inward sort of direction into behavior change and managing their, their motivation and their mindset and their food and creating. Try and do that in 10 minutes as GP as possible. Oi, that's difficult. So I'm wondering. That's the thing, isn't it? Like, you go. So I was just going to say, like, people see an outcome. They want, like, I want arms like yours. That's all they think. They don't think, actually, I want to train my arms, like, at the end of every session for the next 10 years. And I want to give up this social event and that social event. And then I want to go on this diet and that diet. And I want to make sure I hit my protein every day. And I make sure I track my macros and all of those sorts of things. This is and this is the problem with, you know, the shallow world of social media that we live in is people see an outcome and go, I want that. But actually, I don't want that. What they, they don't, don't realize is the they cost. don't want that. That's not the life that they want. They just mm. want the arms. And if yeah. only that was possible. Right. Yeah, I had this exact conversation yesterday. On, well, we did a whole podcast on it. We did. And I also touched on this with SCC for yesterday on the contest prep um, course that I'm writing for the, the 1% program. And it was exactly that. Like, so like, how do you do a contest prep? I'm like, well, first of all, you need to figure out where you are. Then you need to figure out where you're going to end. And then you need to figure out what you need to do to get in between to achieve that goal. And then you need to ask yourself all of these questions, if that's actually even possible. Like, do you even have the time to, to dedicate yeah. to this? Do you have the social What support? are you going to have to give up? Is your partner willing to support you? Like all of these things. And then you'll probably get through all those and go, I don't nope. Know. Yeah. Yep. I'm quite happy just living a normal life. Yeah, yeah. Mm. The costs of extreme success might mean that your definition of success, you know, you're not really achieving that. Mm, Absolutely. Does anyone come to you as a GP um, wanting something prescribed for weight loss, like an appetite suppressant or, well, in Australia, because most of our listeners are Australian. uh, I don't know if if you guys as listeners have ever been prescribed Duramine. You go to the doctor and they're like, hey, here's some prescription speed. Bye. Yep. Does any of that, does that sound familiar to you? I had to look this up. 
like, I had to look this up because because Dean mentioned it the other day. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. And actually, I think it was banned in the UK and maybe like I think it was 2001 or something. I, I looked it up. Um, so that hasn't been used like through, you know, at, at any point during my career. The only real thing that we've had access to until now, really, for, you know, for prescription weight loss was um all is that which is the one that stops you from absorbing fat oh. um so it it basically makes you like poo out like oil so or it's got horrendous side oil. effects that, that, that are that are barely tolerable so you know fortunately for that reason there's not a huge amount of demand for it and there are you know when it comes to stuff like that there's always uh big restrictions in place as to how they can be prescribed and under what conditions they can be prescribed under. So like we often, I guess as doctors feel like we're very autonomous, but there are a lot of guidelines and a lot of um, sort of protocols that we do have to follow when it comes to prescribing stuff. And that's been a really interesting discussion about like semaglutide. I'm sure you've probably seen like newspaper headlines and stuff recently about, you know, weight loss injections being available on the NHS. And um, it's been an interesting discussion because I think, I think it's very different because we're not a private system. So we don't, the way that it works in places like in private, and I, again, I don't know because I've never worked in private systems, but I imagine that there's a certain amount of pressure or maybe more pressure to give people what they want. Because if you don't give people what they want, they'll go and find another doctor who will. Um, and obviously like an NHS system has its own pitfalls, believe me. But I think that the one thing that we don't always struggle with is that side of things like the commercialization of, of, of healthcare mm. and like the advertising aspect of it and stuff like that. So I think we're quite lucky in this country from that perspective um, in that we, that, you know, A, we don't have access to, to those kinds of drugs to prescribe and B, when we do, they tend to be kind of under lock and key to a certain extent, like with the semaglutide injections that, that are being um, are being made available in the process at the moment, it is under, you know, you have to have made it to kind of tier three of the weight management system. You have to be above a certain BMI. You have to have a weight related comorbidity as well. So you can't just be wanting to drop a dress size for, you know, for a wedding and go and see your GP and get these weight loss injections to, you know, to do so or to suppress your appetite. So it is, you know, I, I think that that's the one thing that is, that is quite fortunate in this country um, is that we don't don't tend to have so much of that side of it. Mm, okay. What was the um, the drug called that makes that blocks the absorption of fat? I forget what you said. Orlistat. Right. Yeah. So I believe this is over the counter in Australia. Uh, there's there's okay. marine fiber equivalents. Oh, all right. Um, I have a friend who will remain unnamed, but she's a pharmacist, and maybe that's okay. why she had access to it without a prescription. But I don't know. Anyways, she maybe not. <laughs> one of her friends uh, was releasing a um, a clothing line, and they wanted her to be in the white bikinis for the photo shoot, and blah blah blah. And she wanted to be as lean as she could be for this photo shoot in the white bikini. So she took that, and she said that she wasn't necessarily pooing orange, but rather leaking orange out of her mm. butt, mm. and. Mm she realized too close to the um, shoot that this was happening and it continued to happen while she was in her white bathing suit. And anyways, her friend paid thousands of dollars to hire this venue and hire the photographer and she just had to bail and she was too embarrassed to say why. Mm. She was like, yeah, sorry, no. And yeah, they couldn't follow through <laughs> with the photo this shoot. Is, this is a perfect, perfect example of that people see the outcome and don't understand the steps to get there. <laughs> Oh my god! They actually they actually put this marine fiber in a diet coke in Japan. Do you remember? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, I do. And they called it. What did they call it? They, they called it like said, diet diet coke, and then it said diet it coke like with fiber plus plus or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, the um the fiber that they use over the counter is called chitazan, and it's the same thing. It's a fiber that encapsulates fat. So if you consume it alongside it concomitantly, you essentially will malabsorb it. And yeah, you you basically just have oily poop. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing, like, like, again, people talk about stuff like, you know, diet culture and anti-diet and all of that kind of stuff. But when you get to a point where you are worsening your health to be like, you know, to just be lean, you're not trying to lose weight to be healthier. You're, you're, you're actually actively worsening your health or putting yourself through really unpleasant things to be lean. And obviously like, I'm not talking about like a, 
you know, contest prep is an entirely different thing. I'm not talking about that, obviously. Um, but, you know, you've got to kind of think like we, we've gone wrong somewhere along the way. Like, you know, the, the fact that this person is risking like leaking oil onto this white bikini rather than having maybe like a layer of body fat sitting above the bikini is is so telling about how important it is to us to you know to lose weight at all costs yeah absolutely and that is it's it's really bizarre because we live in this kind of obesogenic society where like it's really really easy to be overweight with the kinds of the foods that are marketed towards us and the kind of you know the kind of lifestyles that we lead and this kind of convenience lifestyle and stuff yet at the same time being lean is so important to people that they will risk these massive health Mm. issues yeah i funnily enough do hear comments about because dean's obviously super super lean and nobody is trying to pretend like it's healthy um saying comments to dean like oh you must you're looking so lean you must be so healthy you must be feeling so great and i don't think people understand that um there's there's it's not that the leaner you are, the healthier you are. The more muscle you have, the healthier you are. It is just not the case. It, it, we exist on a spectrum at either end, extreme leanness and you know, extreme obesity is unhealthy and we want to be sitting somewhere in the grey area. Um, yeah, you want to be able to pick, you know, pick the positives and try and remove the negatives because it is a really interesting contrasted conversation around how much body fat may be too much body fat, how much weight may be too much weight, but then how little weight may be too little weight. And then what behaviors are so restrictive to the point that they're now causing psychological concerns around diet culture and all the rest of it. And uh, what, what's that experience like for you as a GP here in England? Is it, are, are we more like pro diet, anti diet, somewhere in between? It's, it's really like I find it quite a difficult terrain to traverse at the moment because it, especially like on social media, there's lots of. Um, so right, I need to be careful with my words here because I want to make like my feelings quite clear and I very much sit in the middle, I think, on a lot of this sort of stuff. But um, one of the sentences that I use to describe things is that obesity is not a benign condition. It is not without its risks. Right. So it doesn't mean that everybody who is overweight is going to die or every, well, everyone is going to die. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's not that not everybody who is obese is, is going to suffer with obesity related illnesses, just like not everybody who is a smoker is going to suffer with smoking related illnesses. It's not an absolute, but it's not without its risks. So I think that sometimes, you know, the anti-diet crowd and some of those crowds play down those risks because it fits a narrative that being overweight is okay and i think that the point that i would like to make is of course being overweight is okay who's to say what is okay and what isn't we're not talking about okay morally we're talking about okay from a health point of view now then on the other side of that argument every single one of us as human beings engages in behavior that puts our health at risk whether it is driving a car playing rugby going skiing, crossing a road. We all do things that have the potential to cause us harm. Drinking alcohol, you know, all of these kinds of things that that we just take for granted and that that we're more than happy about. But then when it comes to obesity, there's this huge like intertwining of morality and you know this idea of laziness and the weight stigma side of things which is what which which then people dress up as concerns for someone's health right so nobody minds if a drug addict is on the front of a magazine no one minds if you know like we put rock stars on the front of magazines who like are getting high every night and that's totally fine people don't have a problem with that but the minute they put a plus size model on the cover of a magazine people lose their minds their mind yeah and nobody has had a problem with the health of you know all of the models that have been on the covers of magazines for the last 20 30 40 years who've been struggling with eating disorders and all of those sorts of things that have happened you know that's untrue some people have had a problem with it some people have spoken up about it but you know the 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 level of outrage of a plus size person being on the front of a magazine is not proportional to people's concerns about that person's health. It's the fact that in us, it's, it's jarring because it's, it's, it's deviating from the norm. 
so it speaks to kind of this potential you know like and i don't want to talk about stuff that i don't know loads about but like if you think about things like internalized weight stigma if we've been living in a society that tells us that smaller is better for the last 30 or 40 years it's very difficult for us to counteract that narrative in our minds and not just assume that it's true and not just assume but hang on no no, i'm just worried about her health well, why weren't you worried about that person's health? Oh, God, I don't know why I wasn't worried about that person's yeah. health, because they didn't look unhealthy. Oh, wait a minute. You know, you're, you're kind of then saying that, you know, looks are associated with health. And, you know, it's, again, I don't want to keep talking myself around in circles, but this is the reason that I sit on the fence with this, is because there is a level of kind of, you know, if somebody is 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 incredibly obese, then you can potentially deduce that they might be suffering from health implications because of that. But that doesn't mean that they are number one. And it doesn't mean that a person who's on the other end of the spectrum is not. So, you know, like stigma works both directions as well. And this is what, what interests me is the data around weight stigma in health. So like people who come to see their GP and they say to them, um, like I've got this symptom. Oh, it's because you're overweight. You need to lose weight and they don't get taken seriously. Their symptoms don't get taken seriously. And everybody can relate to this without realizing like if, you know, if somebody um, like if a huge competitive bodybuilder goes in to see a GP and the GP's first question, having looked at them and seen that they're massive is, well, do you take anabolic steroids? And they go, well, yeah. Um, and in their mind, they're thinking, but, you know, I have my bloods done regularly. I have an ECG regularly. I have, you know, I see a doctor regularly about that. I'm checking my levels all the time. I'm being really careful, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the GP just says, well, you need to stop doing steroids then, don't you, mate? Mm. You know, they're going to they're gonna walk out of that consultation and go, that was useless. I didn't get the help that I needed. And I've potentially missed a significant medical condition because somebody has blamed my problems on something else that I don't know if it's related or not, but they they were so fixed on the fact that it was related that they didn't look at the other stuff. Mm. So, you know, that's a problem. But then the other side of it is that if somebody comes in who isn't overweight, but who might be, you know, they might come in in like, you know, leggings and gym gear. So you assume that they're healthy and you assume that they're not smoking and drinking loads and getting high every night. And so you don't ask them those questions because you're not, you're just making these assumptions. So like weight stigma in that way is a bad thing because it leads you to make errors in judgment and errors in, in trying to help people get better. And ultimately if you're genuinely trying to help people get better, you need to be looking at the whole picture and not just focusing in on one visible fact about them, you know? So it is a, it, it is a problem for sure. And I think that, I don't know that we're necessarily hugely educated on it. I think that there's a few, um, like a few doctors who exist kind of, I guess, in the social media space more that have kind of honed in on this a little bit and have talked about it a lot um, and are sort of spreading the word. And I think people are starting to understand it more. And it's definitely like in the lifestyle medicine space, it's starting to be understood a lot more that actually, you know, when we work with people, we should be, encouraging health behaviors not like necessarily weight loss as a primary goal and i include like the difference between what i would say myself and and perhaps a lot of um anti-diet people is that i think energy balance is quite an important part of health behaviors um but it doesn't mean that you need to be restrictive and it doesn't mean that you need to be focusing solely on weight loss as the goal because that's when people do stuff like you know, marine fibers and detox teas and things like that, because they think that's, well, I've just got to lose weight. And that's, that's why people engage in these unhealthy behaviors to lose weight, because they think that weight loss is inherently healthy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm, that's such an interesting point. I um, never really considered the other side of weight stigma, like that I could walk in to a GP's office in leggings and a gym top and they just Assume that I'm, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. So that's you're, really say, you're trying to say you fit? Yeah, I think I'm pretty fit. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, I experienced exactly what you were talking about before in regards to the use of anabolic steroids and having mild left ventricular hypertrophy. Uh, and then thankfully the, uh, the, cardi- so the, the cardiac guy that I spoke to was open to discussion. 
Because he said that. Like, you're probably going to have this problem forever. Like, but isn't this also potentially a weight issue or an aerobic conditioning issue that I had as a prior, pre-existing, you know, issue when I was playing this, blah, blah, blah. And he went, yeah, 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 they are. Um, and then when we went down the rabbit hole, I actually improved my LVH over time despite being larger just through good behaviours. But it was very much that the case. Right. But I don't think a lot of people would be in your position to think about... They couldn't ask the, questions. Yeah, couldn't ask the questions and thinking about what else might it have been. Um, so they might internalise that stigma mm. as well. Mm. Um, now, is there somewhere, like a resource that you you learn a lot from, Mike, if people wanted to unpick this further or even understand a bit more about the argument? Because I think the three of us understand the anti-diet movement but some it might be the first time others are hearing it Mm. um i mean for me because i think it's such it's such a discussion piece i i like to follow people that i disagree with um i think is a a big part of it I, i follow people um on instagram who think quite differently to me about diet and fat loss and it's really helped me kind of it's helped because i like i come from this weight loss background like this is this is where i learned everything was by you know six years of dieting basically was was kind of how i learned all my stuff and you know following fitness accounts and and you know writing articles for them and and like learning about flexible dieting and then you know writing blogs about it and all of that sort of stuff so i come from that very you know transformation tuesday kind of background and it's only when people that i've respected who have like kind of not called me out on it but discussed it with me and said like do you you know i remember somebody saying like do you realize why people don't like transformation tuesday do you realize why like why it can be problematic for some people and i was like no why can't people just support other people's goals it's you know ridiculous that's what you know because that was the self echo chamber narrative that i had in my head but when somebody comes from a place of respect and discusses something with you and explains to you why this might be a problem for x y or z like demographic then you can go ah okay i can understand that therefore i can be more sensitive in my approach to this i might still post the transformation tuesday picture if i feel like it but at least i will perhaps you know present it with the level of nuance that perhaps allows for people maybe either not to get not necessarily even not to get upset about it but to understand that this isn't i'm not just presenting an outcome i'm presenting a you know this is what this means to me this is what happened and it's not you know i didn't do it with detox teas so like it's it's really tough and there's there's a few kind of key professionals who i just who i rate really highly like in the nutritional field um and in the compassion field as though like compassion is this new thing that we've suddenly discovered but it kind of feels like it is sometimes and actually like there's there's a lot of people that i follow who are you know former physique competitors um who like you know talk about things like relationship with food and compassion and all of that sort sort of stuff and i think it's so important to kind of try and understand all of this kind of stuff but people that also present it in an evidence-based kind of way is that like it's not just about oh you shouldn't you shouldn't like shame people because it's not nice it's no you shouldn't shame people because it makes it worse like it makes them feel worse and it makes their outcomes worse and if you are a coach or if you are a health professional then your job is to try and make outcomes better so if you are being presented with evidence that tells you that your behavior is making things worse you want to change that behavior right so i think it's really tough especially that people not only respond to things in different ways, but people have different levels of kind of self-awareness. And and I always find like tough love a really interesting concept because people will be like, oh yeah, well, tough love worked really well for me. Like I, you know, I lost weight because, you know, someone was really horrible to me about it and I hated myself. So I changed it. But yeah, but maybe actually you don't have to, I mean, you did a post on this the other day, Lizzie, like you don't have to hate yourself to want to change. And actually if you, if you change not because you hate yourself, but because you appreciate and love yourself, your change is likely to be more meaningful and more sustainable. And just because you succeeded, or succeeded in inverted commas, against, you know, the the pull of that 
perhaps bad behavior it doesn't mean that you succeeded because of that bad behavior and because of like we tell ourselves these narratives like oh this worked for me is exactly the same as me losing weight when i did paleo and saying that paleo worked for me because i didn't want to eat anything because it was so boring so of course i lost of course i lost more weight with paleo than i did with flexible dieting because i was like i couldn't be bothered to eat because it was just dull and boring but it wasn't sustainable. Yeah. So, you know, anyway, I'm, I'm getting rambly now, but I no, no, that, remember what that <laughs> I don't know where we started either, but that was all really interesting. Yeah. But on that point, so often people confuse the method with the principle, you know, like the methods there were paleo or flexible dieting, but in both circumstances, the principle was energy balance, you know, consuming less than you burn. Um, and that's where people go wrong with clean eating. What it worked for me when I when I cut out all quote unquote bad food. Well, how's orthorexia exactly. going for you, sweetheart? Yeah. Like how those big yeah. cheat days? Yeah. You can easily cancel out, you know, a whole week's deficit in a day when we go nuts on quote unquote bad food, and it's all yeah can can be quite harmful. And whew, I suppose following somebody that has a big transformation Tuesday themselves and they did it through clean eating or through paleo without an actual understanding of just like the general pedestrian understanding of nutrition. It's so important so that you can critically think and assess like, okay, what are the good parts I can take from this, but what are the bad parts that I might want to leave behind? So I think in um, engaging in putting the puzzle pieces together, why something works, how something works, is is key to your own self-preservation you know and i think it's tough Mm. yeah and it's tough because it's very difficult to present a complete picture on social media and i like i mean i again out of out of one of the many ridiculous things that i did i remember there was a craze like on twitter years ago um of pre it was called hashtag pre mars and it was having a mars bar as a pre-workout right okay because these like fitness models or whatever they were wanted to like prove that they were eating normal food so they would have like a mars bar as like their pre-workout and me as this guy who is like you know really overweight really inactive whose workout consists of very very little compared to the kind of energy expenditure that these guys are doing goes oh well they're super lean and they have a mars bar before they go to the gym i'm gonna have a mars bar before i go to the gym and again like it's like even people wanting to to show like normality and wanting to not you know like demonstrate not cutting out foods that they love and all of that kind of stuff can just encourage people to eat more like there's you know there's a lot of super lean people who are posting their you know, the junk food that they eat because they want people not to be scared of food groups and all of that kind of stuff. But then they're not necessarily like people might not realize that that person is lean because they're probably consuming maybe not the whole thing. The rest of their diet is probably like completely different to the rest of your diet. So even if they're having like a pastry every day, the rest of their day looks very different to yours and their expenditure looks very different to yours. And you know, life is, it's just different for different people. And I think it's because of comparison culture and because we just like people want to have arms like Dean, they just will go, Oh, what, what did Dean eat today? That's how you get big arms. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's really (laughs) silly, but we've all, we've all kind of done it about when it's something you don't really know about. You go, what's he doing that I'm not doing? He's got massive arms. Cool. I'll grow a beard. You know, it's like, it's really, really, a challenging environment to actually be you know to have that authenticity but also that transparency because and if you want to give the whole picture you feel like you're constantly justifying and caveating everything because you don't want yeah. someone to misunderstand this yeah. or that or the other and that's exhausting in itself so yeah, it's a post of asterisks yeah like how far yeah. back can i go <laughs> that, you saying that made me laugh because we connected when you were into my inbox because I put up a video of me drinking my pre-workout out of a beetroot jar. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. And um, because we're traveling at the moment. So oh, like I, have, have I, I didn't have a shaker. And I mixed it up in that and took, it was, it was, it was a perfect jar, like a mason jar. <laughs> and he said, um, he said, beetroot sales, beetroot juice sales have just gone through the roof. <laughs> right. And, um, I was like, hopefully people realize it wasn't beetroot. 
But it's true. Like you really need to remember and, and, and remind yourself occasionally that even if you're a nobody, you only, it only takes one person to see a certain thing that you do for them to then believe that to be true or to be the answer. And then that perpetuates to the next person. Like before, you know what people think that um, uh, they, they, they can't spell. <laughs> I do exactly. think that people exactly. who are in really good shape um, have a greater responsibility to be responsible with their message. Because what is it that Spider-Man says? With great power comes great responsibility. Is that the same? Yeah. And I think that yeah. when you look immaculate, you have a lot more influence, quote unquote, power online. And anything yeah. you do, well, not anything, some things you do, some people will imitate. Mm. Um, even at the gym, if I'm doing like some rehab on my shoulder, I'll see someone that's new to the gym kind of like doing it the next time I'm there. I'm like, oh, no, I hope they're not mm. doing that because they saw me doing it because that's yep. my yeah. rehab and that's not how I built my delts. And Yeah. Yep. Mm. Logan Robson. Yeah. I mean, I- you go. I think like res- responsibility is a really interesting thing because where does the we all have a responsibility as consumers of, of content as well, I think. Yeah. And I think people forget that. Like you need to responsibly consume content just as much as you need to responsibly put it out there. But I, I do think there is an element that, you know, if you know you have like a large following, for example, and you are putting out information as though it is fact. I think there is a responsibility to, to have some accountability in that information. But I think at the same time, a lot of people don't, they don't sign up for that reason. Like they didn't, they don't necessarily want to have that voice. Just people started following them because they have abs and people want to look at abs on Instagram. Like, you know, they didn't, they, I would rather, I mean, I would rather they didn't put any information out there than they put wrong information out yeah. there. Um, and I don't think that people have a responsibility to explain themselves to everybody. But I think if you are like an account on social media who puts out health information to build your profile, then I think you should, you know, you do have a level of responsibility to make sure that that health information is accurate or that at least you present it in a way that it is. Um, some context. Well, it considers the yeah, idea. Some context. Yeah. Exactly. And I think it's stuff like I, I, there was a really interesting post, actually, like, do you know, um, Andrew Huberman, the, mm. I think he's a neuroscientist, and he put out a tweet the other day that said, oh, I'm at this lecture. And the guy has just said that basically, if you um, if you do three hours of like zone, whatever cardio a week, but then you're sedentary for the rest of the week and basically undoes all of the good work that you that you do. And a lot of people kind of went in on this tweet and said, well, actually, the evidence does not support that it undoes the good work that you do. The evidence supports that being sedentary for the whole week is not a great thing to do. Zone two cardio for three hours a week is a great thing to do. There's no one cancels out the other. It's that don't just go to the gym and not realize like, you know, you should, you know, we should also aim to be active at other points in the week. So if you're sedentary, maybe getting up and walking around for two minutes every couple of hours is a good idea because it will have health improvements. Because when people read a statement like that, they might well look at it and go, well, I'm not bothered going to the gym then because I've got to sit down for the rest of the week. So it's all just yeah. going to get undone. What's the point? You know, like, I think it's, it, it's kind of, it's understanding that, you know, like perhaps the wording might even be wrong and this is from somebody who's a scientist but then it's he's a neuroscientist so that's not really his area of expertise he's just kind of repeating what he heard in a lecture and that's where kind of staying in your lane and all of these sorts of things come into play because actually like everyone goes wild over this tweet because he's like this guy with a huge amount of followers he's really well respected really intelligent really knows his stuff but he's not that's not his information that he's talking about it's information from a lecture that he went to from someone else it's like you know it's like me saying that anosmia is the inability to spell because someone told me it was Mm. you know like that's kind of this is this is the way that these things work sometimes is that again suddenly like if if someone's an influencer they think they should have an opinion oh everyone's posting about this so i should i should do a post about that actually maybe maybe you shouldn't maybe you should just post about the stuff that you that you know about or at least like at least if you're presenting yourself as an expert on something but i think i think it's tough i think it's tough for people who have um you know i think i think the idea of expecting anyone who's in good shape to kind of walk around and go oh by the way guys i ate a pizza today but i didn't have one yesterday and it's okay to do this but it's not okay to do this and if you want to do this you've got to do this and by the way this is this is the steroid cycle that i use and this is 
um, this is what my parents look like. So you can just see what my genetics are, but actually like, you know, their, their arm genetics were really good, but actually their leg genetics aren't, aren't so good. It's not that I don't really train my calves properly. I just don't really have good calf genetics. Like, you know, there, there's so many caveats that you can give that yeah. you just like, you just end up talking the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. It's too much. Yeah. Hmm. Well, if I can quote Queen Elizabeth, it's not what you say. Sometimes it's what you don't say. Is that a quote from Queen Elizabeth? I think that's what, I don't know, look, let's fact check that, but I believe. What a contrast. One from Spider-Man and one from Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> you just throw that away Which now, Queen though. Elizabeth was it? Was the it current like now Queen Elizabeth? The one okay. that might be not alive anymore? Because didn't she have COVID, then went to hospital and no one's seen her since, and that was months ago? There's a lot of throwaway no, comments being made. she did a public either. engagement last week. Oh, well, She did like I'm a wrong. public engagement like a week or two ago. Clearly I'm we're, all, wrong. we're good, we're good. Everything's know, fine. Look, I think what's actually happened is Queen Elizabeth has this uh, body double. Mm. And you heard it here first, folks. Queen Elizabeth actually has an identical twin that you've never known about, and that was actually her. <laughs> and her name, her name is Diana. Well, this podcast just got wow. huge. <laughs> her name is Diana. <laughs> it would have been funny if I said Megan. Oh Imagine it was Megan. It's <laughs> not Megan. <laughs> now, um, <laughs> Mike, if people wanted to follow you, actually, no, before I ask you your handle and where people can find you, we like to wrap up with a less shit tip because our slogan is the FlexiSess podcast, how to be less shit. What might be a take-home point that you would like to hand over to people? I would always say find the easiest way of being a tiny bit less shit to start with like I think that it's um I think for me like the path of least resistance is my favorite path all the time I don't understand there's a lot of pressure you know the hustle and the grind and stuff like people seem to want to work harder and I don't understand that like I'm a naturally incredibly lazy person and Mm. would like to do as little as possible to achieve as much as possible um and so I would always say that just try and pick low-hanging fruit because there's always low-hanging fruit and I think that we have a, a very big tendency like if we want to make behavior change or lifestyle change to pick some huge thing to change like okay I'm gonna run five times a week i'm going to do five 5k runs a week um, oh. and I, I i hate to break it to you but if you choose huge sweeping change often like when we're in that motivated state we are really good at sticking to it for you know like a little while uh, and so we think oh this is sustainable i can totally do this um but actually in reality once that motivation wanes when you rely too much on that on that motivation it's it's usually a recipe for not sustaining it yeah, yeah. i like yeah. the saying um evolution not revolution so just small no. changes instead of mm. you know. no, but, uh, there's this weirdly this negative association with this concept of doing as little as possible but it's like the, the beauty about doing as little like, as possible is it gives you the opportunity to do a little bit more when that little bit no longer profits you you know 100%. and because imagine imagine if you did five five k runs tomorrow and it didn't give you what you wanted what do you do then you know, it, it's, um, yeah, it, I, I'm, I've, I've always said to people the same thing, like find the path of least resistance. I think it's fantastic advice and do as little as possible to get the maximum. That's a win-win. Mm. For sure. Um, on that note, something we're sharing. Do you have a book or a saying or, I don't know, or even a, a medication, of- a prescription that everyone can ask for? <laughs> Or a couple of account, a couple of those accounts you mentioned that you think would be um, worthy of sharing with people to give them some some value and yeah, I want to um, I want to think it through. I think there's there's a few that I that I love and like my mind's gone completely blank, um, but I share them a lot on you know when I talk about stuff on social media. I think um, that there's the, the people that I really love listening to are the people who are super into fitness and into training, but also have a really sensible approach to life and lifestyle as well. In fact, I'm going to just think of somebody just because you guys are Australian. Um, Nikki Stamp is an Australian cardiothoracic surgeon and she's super into CrossFit and she's also super into kind of health. She actually wrote a book that is just over here somewhere called Pretty Unhealthy. And I think it's a really interesting kind of delve into, you know, how we've we've ended up associating 
like pretty with healthy and, mm. and vice versa. And um, I, I think that that's kind of a really, that book actually is a really good, interesting introduction into that world of understanding why, you know, weight loss isn't always best, why we should moderate our use of things like social media and comparison culture and all that kind of stuff as well. Pretty so, unhealthy. Oh, what a great plan. Words. I, um, I love the sound of that book. I am a big reader myself, but I'm also a bit like a toddler where I get distracted easily by shiny things. And so I have a tendency to be like, oh, that book looks great. Oh, that book looks great. And then before you know it, I'm in the middle of about like five different books at the same time. So (laughs) I'm going to get through the stack that I'm currently on. And Pretty Little Things is, I'm not Pretty Little Things. That's a, that's a retail group, isn't it? They sell clothes. (laughs) Pretty Unhealthy (laughs) is going to be next up. Um, We'll put a link to it in our show notes. Um, and also a link to where people can find you. So where can people find you, Mike? Uh, Dr. Mike the second. So D-R-M-I-K-E-T-H-E-2-N-D. And it's it's just the same on all social medias that exist, except MySpace. Okay. Well. MySpace, does MySpace still exist? No, but it at least tells us. I don't know. I think it, I think it's, I think you can still go and find like your MySpace profile, which worries me greatly. I would love to do that. Um, now, no podcast is complete without an inappropriate would you rather that makes the podcast guest regret actually coming on this podcast. I can't help but go to a board. Something's going to involve leaky poo. <laughs> we we, have, we, we haven't actually and, thought of the podcast. We had a poo and pee last time. And, and uh, when, when Mike booked in, he actually said, I definitely wouldn't want 20 mil because it's a lot. I really fucked up for people that are listening. 20 mil is way too well, much. Well, hang on. Pain. Repeat the would you rather. Well, the would you rather was would you rather be only able to wipe your bum four times every time after a poo? Yep. Or you would have 20 milliliters of urine leak post-pee in your pants. And 20 mil is too much. That's like, yeah, two-thirds of a shot. I, I, went, and, I went and measured it afterwards, you know, and I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. I mean, it's crazy. Maybe, maybe like three. Crazy. There was, um, I remember, you might remember this, you know, like singer-songwriter Sheryl Crow did this whole like climate change thing about how you should be able to wipe your bottom with only one piece of toilet paper. And she did like a demonstration of, of how, how this should work and how you should fold it and all of that sort of stuff. And it really brought her like street cred down significantly. But I was sort of listening to that podcast thinking, well, if Sheryl Crow can wipe her bottom with one piece of toilet paper, why would like if then that's got to be like four wipes has got to be better than 20 mm. mils of pee like, you know <laughs> maybe she is the long lost sister of uh kim jong-un oh because he doesn't poo he at doesn't all poo, yeah. <laughs> really that's apparently <laughs> one of the things he can also read your mind i yeah, of course this is uh an ode to a fellow englishman mm-hmm. i sat down at a dinner table once with dorian yates who for those that aren't familiar is a very famous England's bodybuilder best ever bodybuilder and I don't know where I read it. Again, this could have been just another moment of me reading this and just assuming that it was correct. But it was something to the tune of um, you need to have 13 ply to prevent bacterial transfer. Oh, no. I think our internet has just shut itself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're back. Can you hear us, Mike? I completely... I completely lost you for about 10 seconds. I got as far as you sitting down with Dorian Yates. And that was okay. the last thing I heard. And I was saying, so I sat down with Dorian right. Yates and I don't know if I read this legitimately or if it was just a throwaway comment somewhere that I just believed like we've been talking about today, funnily enough, but it was something to the tune of, um, I think we're going to lose me, that, yeah, that you need 13 ply to prevent bacterial transfer. So I said, you need to have at least two pieces of three ply folded twice. And then he just looked at me and goes, why don't you just wash your hands after you go to the toilet? I went, yeah, fair enough. Like, I didn't think of that. Like great dinner conversation. He just yeah. actually just belted me in front of everyone. I was like, yeah, look, all right. Okay, I can wash my hands. Now, so can my, does my would you rather have to include poo or can't no, include no, no, poo? No, no, I don't think. Whatever you want. We know. We, right. We don't follow a system here, even though I follow a system. In there the are no rules, Mike. <laughs> would you rather? I want, to, I want it to be snack related. Ooh. Snack related. Well, we already know yeah, the I answer. I feel like we haven't had rather... snack discussion. Okay, okay. Would you rather every snack that you eat be so incredibly delicious that you're left wanting more, but you can't? Or every snack you eat be so bland that you're like, uh, it'll do, but you never really enjoyed it? I think it's got to be the former. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, zero yeah because every snack that I eat, 
is so delicious that it leaves me wanting more <laughs> even if it's really bland so i know that i'm able to live this life already so that's i'm going to take that one okay what is the go-to snack for dr mark the second so i would say like actually i find if i want a snack to kind of to fill me up a protein bar every single time is is like the perfect like if i just want to to not think about food for the next couple of hours because i'm like at work or whatever I know that the one thing that will always just take everything away is a, is a protein bar, like a carb killer. Or I really like I've really been enjoying the um, the train by JP do like a vegan protein bar, which I have to admit, when I was told about this, I was like, there's no way that this can possibly be good. Because like I feel like Jordan Peters is probably one of the people that I would associate most with, you know, being happy to sacrifice anything in order for progress so i don't necessarily associate like him with thinking that like he's going to make a really great tasting protein bar because i feel like to him it'd be more important that it would be like the right macros and the right nutrition yeah. profile and stuff like that and i remember him telling me about this bar and i said yeah i'm intrigued i'm intrigued and i was like i was so nervous trying it because i was like i don't want to say that this is awful if it's bad because i really like jordan pieces and um and i tried it and I was so i was like oh my god i really like this protein bar um and actually i really like it i think it's the dark chocolate raspberry one is amazing okay. but anyway i digress Can that be bad? if it's healthy snacks it's always a protein bar mm. or, but if it's unhealthy snacks it's like anything yeah i'm not very creative with my unhealthy snacks chips chocolate ice cream mm. hey how's that little mini dessert i made you last night off cuff oh dean i made... had an inspirational moment while in the shower as most men do yes it was yeah. tinned apples wasn't it so it was apple pie filling which is just apple tinned apples, apples. Tin. yeah and then i thought I don't know why. So what could I make? Because Liz always wants like some form of dessert. She normally has a square of dark chocolate or, you know, eight in 10 or something, something small at the end of the night with a cup of tea. I thought, what can I make it? It's not on the level of my cream of rice because, I mean, what is? <laughs> but, you know, and it was, yeah, tinned apples warmed in the microwave with cinnamon, topped with oats that I mixed with a tinsy bit of butter, a tinsy bit of honey, and then I grilled them. Oh, Wow. And then, um, and then I got, we have a... Or you uh, could just buy your own muesli. We guys. have a whey protein. You can have a granola, but a granola will be a lot higher in fat. Mm. And, then, um, yeah. and then we have a whey here that's apple strudel flavor, which is incredible. And I just mixed like five grams of that with just a little bit of water so that it made the apples creamy. And that's what it was. And it was, huh. it was like 20 grams of carbs, two to three grams of fat. I'm impressed by this. It was basically apple pie. I'm I didn't really take a photo. By. I've never like... You should take a photo. I'll make another one. It didn't happen unless there was a photo, but I'll do it again. Exactly. Take a photo and send it to you. Yeah. Um, I've actually never tried cream of rice. It's eluded me. It's, um, I think when most people first try it, they're bitterly disappointed because it's a bit of a skill to do in a particular way. Yeah. Uh, but once you, get that impression. once you hone the skill, it's highly voluminous. And incredibly nice. Well, we posted a recipe for cream of rice on I the. Posted too. Oh, did you? So it's on Dean's personal Instagram and the Flex Success Instagram. So go on there and look. Okay. If you've got a free hour of your life to create a pretty good dessert, do it. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you could just get ice cream, which takes no time and is probably just. Yeah. So just just to, <laughs> just to give an argument for using cream of rice, this is what's good about it. Normally, rice raw weight is eighty percent carbs, mm -hmm. right? When you cook mm -hmm. it as normal rice, it will sit somewhere between 30 and 40%. When you do cream of rice, including fruit, it'll sit at around about 15 to 20% carbs. So from a like carbohydrate per gram of food, it's actually like on par with most low calorie foods. Okay. Um, so it's, it's like sweet potatoey. Yeah. Like it's, it's like mainly water because you're doing a five to one ratio, but mm. You have to be into like sort of soft pudding-y type sort of consistencies. Otherwise, it's just a big mm -hmm. bowl of slop to some people. Well, uh, guys, if you do end up trying the cream of rice, please tag Flex and Mike, maybe encourage him to give it a go. <laughs> you won't encourage me to spend that long making a dessert, to be honest. But um, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for having me. Um, and you gave your Instagram tag already, didn't you? But let's give it again just for those right at the end. It was Mike the second. Dr. Mike the second. Dr. Mike the second. Yeah, a real doctor. If you look up Dr. Mike, you get like this, like insanely good looking, like emergency doctor from America who's like a model basically and <laughs> like has lots of pictures of him and his dog and has like 7 million followers or something like that. That's not me. He sounds I mean, like a dream boat. <laughs>
I think there's a neuroscience <laughs> Dr. Mike on there. Bane well. of my life. I don't um, know. Dr. Mike is oh, yeah, Dr. Mike Todorovic. Yeah, Todorovic. Was he, he Dr. Mike? Yeah, I he's, think he's so. Awesome yeah, because the other day when I went looking for you, he came. But he made us come up like as a like sort of name because I have had both of you and my followers. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Anyways, it's been an absolute hoot. Uh, thanks again, and I, I hope we can do this in the thank future. You. Thanks, Mike. I hope so too. Thanks very much.